Hey guys, this is Pastor Josh from Fresh Church. We are so excited that you are joining us for our podcast today. I do want to tell you that we pray at Fresh Church that you would get involved in the local church in your city. The Bible says that those that plant themselves in the house of the Lord will flourish. And a podcast and an online experience, a YouTube uh, sermon is amazing, but it does not replace the local church, the hope of the world, the community, the family that God has placed all of us in. And so we hope you find that and we hope you enjoy this message today. (laughs) Well, listen, my sermon today is basically, I I mean, you never know what God's up to. And um, I I thought, God, why, why am I preaching this sermon? But how many of you know that God probably knows some stuff you don't? Um, <laughs> and God knew some stuff. He knew I was going to be here talking to you folks. And this is, when I look at this sermon, this is a total validation of who you are as a church. I didn't know that at the time when I was putting words on paper, but it's absolutely true. I'm going to start with a very old religious handbook. It's called the Westminster Catechism. And in that book, it asks the question, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what's the primary purpose of us being alive? And then it answers its own question. The primary purpose for us being alive is, number one, to glorify God, and number two, to enjoy Him forever. Now, I grew up in a church that really stressed the first part, to bring God glory. But the second part, enjoy Him forever, and not so much. Because I grew up thinking that those two were kind of mutually exclusive. I knew I should glorify God, but somehow I got the idea that glorifying God should be a little bit on the boring side. And that is not true. That is not even close to what the Bible teaches. I want to share with you Psalm 147, verse 1. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise Him. First of all, Praise is pleasant, meaning you should enjoy doing it. Well, you know the great thing about Fresh Church? It's obvious. You enjoy worshiping God. <laughs> I love the aerobics class going on up here. Man, that was, that was awesome. Not only that, but get this. Praise is fitting. It is appropriate that we should do it. Now look, I'm not talking about style. I'm talking about your heart. Whether you worship God with a pipe organ or drums, I don't care. I just want to know, are you worshiping God? Because that is the central need of our lives. To worship God nurtures us. It deepens us. It reveals the appetite of our souls. Do you get it? Now I grew up in an old school church. And we had revival services. For those of you who didn't grow up in church, that's like a three-day to seven-day deal where you go to church every night. Right? And so I'm serving a church not too far from here, and we had a guest speaker come in, an evangelist named Leonard Ravenhill. 
at the time, Leonard Ravenhill was like, he was the dude, man. He was the man when it came to evangelism. And so he came to our church, and the custom of our church was that the evangelist would go with a staff member every day of the week, during the day, and we would go visit people that typically wouldn't come to church, and we would invite them to church that night. Are you with me? And so I'm new to this staff, and I go with Dr. Ravenhill to visit this guy, and this guy was chronically absent. And he gave the classic response, you've probably heard it before, he said, you don't have to go to church to go to heaven. Now that's true, but it's a smokescreen for a lot of people that use it. He said, you don't have to go to church to go to heaven. I'll never forget what Dr. Ravenhill said. He said, you're absolutely right, but why would you want to go to heaven? What do you think we're going to do there anyway? You know what you're going to do in heaven? You're going to worship. If you don't enjoy worship here, what makes you think you're going to enjoy worship for all eternity? Right? It's easy. It's easy to lose sight of the glory of God. And it's easy to replace His glory with something it's not. Like man-made traditions. Now, I grew up in the church. And I had a full dose of religion. And I've experienced that. I experienced what we're going to talk about today. Some pirates of praise. Some things that confine our worship and imprison us. So that we're looking over our shoulder, wondering what other people think, instead of focused on the audience of one, Jesus Christ. It's easy to divert your attention to things like style. You guys are dressed pretty casual, all right? Sometimes when I preach, I preach, you're going to find this hard to believe, but sometimes I preach in a robe because I'm at an Anglican church. And sometimes I'm wearing jeans. And sometimes I'm behind a pulpit. And sometimes I'm teaching from a bar stool. And sometimes there are hymns. And sometimes there are choruses. And sometimes there's an altar call where people come and pray at the front. Sometimes there's response tabs. I've heard sermons on makeup, jewelry, hair, movies, trick-or-treating. I mean, you name it. I've heard the whole thing, right? I can remember in the ninth grade, I heard an entire Sunday school lesson on how it was inappropriate for Christian teenagers to go to the movie theater. The whole Sunday school class, don't go to the movie theater. Well, I'm just a knucklehead. As a ninth grader, I raised my hand. I said, well, I go to the movie theater. Oh, my gosh, you would think I was the Antichrist, you know? But unbeknownst to me, remember, I'm a ninth grader. I don't know anything. And so I put the teacher in a corner. I didn't mean to. But now the teacher has to defend his position. And so he said what came naturally to him. He said, Craig, what if you were at the movie theater and the Lord came back? What then? And without thinking, obviously, I said, I guess I'd miss the rest of the movie. <laughs> and that was not what he expected to hear. But it's the truth, isn't it? I don't care if you worship with a tambourine. I don't care if you worship with a hymn book. None of that matters. I don't think it matters because it's from the heart. 
And now what happens if we get imprisoned as a pirate of praise? It leads to drab, dreary Christians, a divided church, and confused folks. I've heard churches split over where they put the cross in the worship center. Does it go right behind them? Does it go over to the side? Do you even have one? I know of churches that have split over the color of the carpet in the worship center. I mean, look, folks, guys on the outside looking in at the church think that we are all nuts. And do you know what? We are nuts because we argue over stuff that doesn't make any difference. We have imprisoned our stuff that has nothing to do with this book. I'll give you an example. I started a church in East Tennessee. God blessed incredibly. And it was very similar to this church. We started with 28 people. My daughter was one of those 28. It grew to 3,000 people in less than eight years. And I'll tell you why. Because we stuck to the word and we loved other people and we left the results to God. People were hungry, starving for something real, for something that wasn't airbrushed or photoshopped. They wanted the real stuff. And we gave it to them in love. All right, side story. I love to play golf. But I didn't learn to play golf until I was pastoring this church start. And the worship minister kept bringing all these guys from the community into our church. And I said, Dave, how are you meeting those guys? And Dave said, I meet them on the golf course. I mean, they're held captive for four hours. You've got to talk about something. And I tell them about Jesus. And they come to church. And I thought, I've got to take some golf lessons. This is a way to reach out to the community. All right, there's a little selfishness in there, too. I wanted to learn to play golf. But I took some golf lessons. They didn't work. I'm a horrible golfer. But I start playing golf. One Saturday... I went out on this little municipal course, and they matched me up with this guy that I'd never met before, okay? So I'm, I'm playing golf with this guy. Let, let's call him Daryl, since that's his name. And so Daryl and I are playing golf, and he is, he is cussing like a sailor, man. He's just rah, ragging, fragging, ringing, ragging, ringing, ragging. He's having a horrible day at golf, and he is filling the air with profanities, right? We get on the seventh tee box. He said, so what do you do for a living? I said, I'm the pastor of that church down the road that meets in the elementary school. Oh, he says, oh, for, forgive me, Father. And uh, I said, well, I'm, I'm not Catholic. He said, well, what do I call you? And I said, Craig would be better than what you've been calling me for seven holes. And we had a good laugh. We round the turn. We're in front of the clubhouse. And he said, do you mind if I go inside and get a beer? Now, this is East Tennessee, okay? You got to keep in mind the context. They're not used to this. He said, do you mind if I get a beer? I said, I don't care. He stopped dead in his tracks. He turned to me and he said, what kind of church do you pastor? And this is the Holy Spirit. I'm not smart enough to think this quick. I said, the kind of church that's more concerned with where you spend eternity than with what you drink on the golf course. He said, 
I've never been to a church like that. I said, you can be at one tomorrow. I said, I'll tell you what, Daryl. I will wear what I'm wearing right now if you come to my church. He said, you won't do it. I said, oh, yes, I will. And I did, and he showed up. And three months later, I led Daryl to Christ. Let me tell you something. You know what he didn't need? Daryl did not need a sermon on foul language. He did not need a sermon about drinking beer on the golf course. You know what Daryl needed? Daryl needed Jesus. And he got it. Unbeknownst to me, Daryl owned a construction company. I didn't know that. We're in a building program because we're meeting in a school, a public school. We need our first building. Daryl says, I think God wants me to build your building. I said, Daryl, that's awesome. I said, we're taking bids. So put your bid in and we'll let the building committee take a look at it. He said, Craig, I don't think you understand. God is calling me to build your building for free. He built our building for free. You think God knew that? Yes, he did. Do you think God made a divine appointment and paired me up with this guy named Daryl on the golf course? Yes, he did. Are you with me? I could have blown all of that if I had gone back to my roots and been a pirate of praise. Daryl needed Jesus, and Jesus changed his life. You're going to see that in these passages. The first pirate, if we're not careful, is the pirate of personal pride. If you've got a copy of the Bible in front of you or you want to look it up on your iPad or on your phone, I want you to look at 2 Samuel chapter 6. If not, just listen carefully. First of all, verses 14 through 16. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched him from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Verse 20, when David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, My, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls, of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me, rather than your father or anyone from his house, when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. So Michael stood there, David's wife. She was a spectator to one of the most glorious moments in all of history. The Ark of the Covenant 
long held by the enemy, Philistines, was finally coming back to Jerusalem. And leading the procession was her husband, King David. David got caught up in the exuberance of the moment, and he cast aside all concern for personal dignity, as well as most of his clothes. He donned a simple prayer cloth, an ephod, and almost like a child, joyfully, he danced before the Lord. Yeah, you heard me. He danced, literally leaping and twirling. Kind of reminded me of what I saw just a few minutes ago on this stage. What happened? A party broke out. The people shouted, the trumpets blared, the crowd went crazy. And every time I read that, here's the question I have in my mind. Can worship in church be like that? Now, I know this much. Too many Christians are afraid to enjoy God's presence. And do you know why? We're afraid somebody might think we're having a good time doing it. We can't have smiles in church. It's a somber place. Who told you that? God didn't tell you that. The Bible didn't tell you that. Case in point, what was Michael's reaction? Remember, she's the king's wife. She wanted no part of this celebration. And when David came home, disgust was written on her face. And sarcasm dripped from her lips. In verse 20, My, how the king of Israel distinguished himself today. Note the contrast. David's actions were motivated by praise for God and personal humility. David wasn't trying to draw attention to himself. He was just caught up in worship of God. But Michael, all she saw was the absence of decorum and sophistication. David's actions were motivated by consuming praise for God with no thought of how it would, it would affect his reputation as the king. And that's why he said, I will. Notice the note of determination. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Here's the Ark of the Covenant, the resting place of God, the glory of God's presence. It had come home to Jerusalem, but Michael refused to celebrate. Why? Verse 20 tells us she was embarrassed. Notice what she says. What would the slave girl say? That was her only thought. What would the slave girl say? She hired the slave girls. They worked for her. What a tragedy. To have God come to town, to have the presence of the Lord at hand and be unmoved by it. It was a marvelous, beautiful, magnificent day to praise God. But Michael missed it. The second pirate is the pirate of religious ritual. It's found in Luke chapter 19 verses 37 through 40. When he, meaning Jesus, came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace 
in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now there they stood with a look of disdain at this strange circus-like parade winding its way through the city, and the crowd shouted, Hosanna! And they spread palm branches and clothing in the road. For who? A governor? No. A king? No. A carpenter on a donkey. But this wasn't just any carpenter, was it? This was the one they had long waited for. Yeshua, Messiah, had come. But this Messiah threatened their carefully constructed system of rituals and church traditions. And they cried out until their voices were heard over the pandemonium. And they demanded that Jesus rebuke his followers. This was an unseemly display. But Jesus was having none of that, no sir. Because Jesus saw from an eternal perspective and he told the Pharisees, I wouldn't think about silencing their praise because if they don't shout for me, the rocks will cry out. You cannot stop the praise of God. Somebody or something is going to do it. Now let me clarify something. The Pharisees were not bad people. They get a bad rap, I know. But the Pharisees were not bad people. And most pirates of praise aren't bad people. They see themselves as protectors of the sacred or champions of church history. But in the end, the Pharisees' idea of worship had more to do with technical correctness than intimate personal devotion. There's a picture of this from history. Emperor Shah Jahan's wife had died, and the Shah was devastated. And he resolved to honor her by building a temple as her tomb. So her coffin was placed on a beautiful parcel of land. Construction began around it. No expense was spared to make his wife's final resting place magnificent. But as the weeks turned into months, the Shah's grief was eclipsed by his passion for the construction project. It was all he thought about. He was consumed with it. And one day, while walking from one end of the building site to the other, his leg bumped up against a large box. He brushed off the dust from his knee, and he ordered the box to be thrown out. What the prince didn't realize is he had ordered the disposal of his wife's coffin. Hidden beneath layers of dust and time, the very reason for the project was lost. In the same way, the Pharisees were so consumed with religious duty and keeping the church traditions that they failed to see the object of their devotion was right in front of them. They stood eye to eye with the Savior, Messiah, the one that they had longed for, and they didn't even recognize him. It was a magnificent day to praise God, but they missed it. 
the last pirate of praise is the pirate of brotherly bitterness. And this is a story you will all remember. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 25. This is the story of the prodigal son, and he returns home. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice that, not this brother of mine, oh no, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, when he comes home, then you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Get this. And everything I have is yours. The older brother had lost nothing. The father said, but we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The older brother, he stood out in the field leaning on a shovel with an expression on his face that would sour milk. The family farm had been transformed into a carnival, a carnival he had no intention of attending. His father left the house, went out to the field, and begged the older brother. Ah, but he wanted no part of it. And so he gives a poor, pitiful me speech. And the father answered his son with these words, We had to celebrate. In the Greek, it's the definitive article. We had no choice. What else could we do? The older brother wanted nothing to do with that celebration. Do you know why? I bet you do. You see, the return of the younger brother was a celebration of grace. And that was a concept the older brother didn't understand. But get this, he didn't want to understand. He was like a lot of pirates of praise. He thought people should get what they deserve, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. How many of you are thankful you do not receive from God what you deserve? How many of you are thankful you get from God what you don't deserve, and he gives it to you anyway? How many of you know that God rescued each of us from a pit and put us in a sacred place of divine authority. Every breath I draw into my lungs is not because I deserve it. It's because God gave it to me. And so here's his speech to the Father in verses 29 through 30, and it reveals his heart. He thought he had gotten the short end of the stick, and get this, he was right. 
he did get the short end of the stick because little brother didn't deserve the warm reception and little brother did not deserve the new robe and little brother did not deserve the ring or the feast but the real tragedy is that the older brother didn't realize that all of this was a demonstration of his father's love and he lost nothing the older brother still had the earthly riches and the love of his father's heart he could access his own father's love anytime he wanted but he was so filled with bitterness this was unjust he said this isn't fair he cried out and the father said we had to celebrate because this brother of yours was dead and now he's alive again it's been my experience that the greatest expressions of praise come from those who have the deepest hurts those who have drawn deepest from the well of God's grace those who, like me, who were at one time broken and bruised and desperate and felt like the church had no time for me. And God picked me up and said, I love you anyway. And I see in you what you may not even see in yourself. Isn't that usually when the healer shows up? When we need to be healed it was a great day to revel in God's mercy. It was a great opportunity to bask in the light of God's grace. But the older brother missed it. Just make sure you don't miss it. My favorite passage of Scripture, Psalm 103, it always chokes me up because it speaks of the transformation God made in my own life. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. That's the God you serve. That is the God who is reaching out to you. You may have given up on yourself. Your friends may have given up on you. Your parents may have given up on you. Your co-workers may have given up on you. God never gave up on you. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the freedom to worship you and for the love that you have for us. May we reflect that back to you and to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Ashley?